Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Morning, everybody. Good to see you. Um, Tim, one of the pastors here, and um, Karen and I, my wife, have been up in Virginia Beach this past week for some meetings for our regional vineyard uh, leadership team, and so we were out of town most of the week. And one of the joys I have uh, is that having done this for a while is that I have some very good friends whom I can call on if I've been out of town for a bit to come and uh, share with you guys. I don't let a whole lot of people up here. You know that if you're in this church. And so if you get up here, you know, it's somebody I probably know. And uh, this uh, young man who uh, is going to share with us this morning, Doug Dorman, has been a friend for, gosh, I was trying to count the years up. It's about 35 years mm-hmm. now. And uh, I think when he was 14 or 15 and I was in my late 40s, maybe. Uh, just kidding there. You're supposed to laugh. Oh, Tim, you're just being. But um, he was in our youth group, and I have watched God doing an amazing work in him. And is Joan here? Is she around here somewhere? Joni, you'll stand up so we can see the kids. The Dorman family are here with us. Yay! Seven children strong. And Doug has been a dear friend, a friend to me personally, as well as a brother in the Lord and a friend of this church, a part of this church, his family, members of this church. He runs a ministry called Your Next Step. If you would like to dig a little deeper into your following of Jesus, I would recommend you talk to Doug. It's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. We have quite a few people in the church who walk through this discipleship program, and I don't know of anybody that's more qualified to do it than Doug Dorman. If you would, please welcome Doug Dorman to preach this morning. Yeah, I met Tim when I was 14. I remember um, I was surfing at the Dunes Club, and Tim was in his mid-20s, and I was amazed someone at his age could still surf. I was, uh, I was stand, sitting close to Tim when, during the worship time, and the first song that we sang had a line in it that says, When the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid. And then I overheard him singing, Because I know how to surf. So, Randy, you might need to talk to him about that, to stick with the lyrics as they've been written. So, uh, well, great to be here this morning, and let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that you love us And that you want to meet with us, speak to us. You want to have a personal love relationship with us. And I ask you today to to make yourself known here at Seacoast Vineyard. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to talk about hearing from God, hearing the voice of God. Does God speak today? I've uh, had a lot of questions uh, from people through the years. I wrote some of them down. Here's one. Is there a God? Well, that's a good place to start. And so uh, that's one question that I've heard. The second is, well, if there is a God, does the said God speak? Uh, A third one is, how do you know? How do I know if what I thought I heard was actually God? Does he speak audibly? Can you actually hear, physically hear God speak? Does he speak 
through open and closed doors. Well, being a doorman, obviously, I'd say, sure he does. <clears throat> it gets worse. Uh, the, uh, doesn't, does he only speak through the Bible? Does he limit himself that he's already spoken and it's through his written word and that's the only way he speaks? That's a question that I've heard as well. Uh, what if he contradicts what he has said in the written word of God? We'll touch on that. Uh, what, if he do, what if what he spoke doesn't happen? Um, that doesn't happen. Um, the, uh, what, what's his will for me? That's a question that many of us have asked. And uh, I've had people say, well, I can't obey God. How do I obey God when he, because I've got these other responsibilities? So we won't touch on all of those because uh, this really is a topic that could, uh, should be a series. How do you hear the voice of God? It, it can't be dealt with in a single service. But we'll, we'll do our best. Um, in your, uh, now, Woody Allen, he had it right. He said this. Woody Allen said, if God only gave me a clear sign, like making a large deposit in my, in my name at a Swiss bank. You know, that, that's how many of us would like to, you know, we know we heard from God if, if he would do that. Well, the title of today's message is It May Be. And in your handout, down about halfway down the page, there are ways to test the promptings. So you have a prompting, you wonder if it's from God or not, an idea comes to your mind, or you had a dream or something, and you're saying, well, was that really from the Lord? How do I know? Uh, Bill Hybels has written a book called The Power of a Whisper. I think it's probably one of his best books that I've, that I've read. A pow- the Power uh, of a Whisper, Hearing God and Having the Guts to respond. Here are the five filters that he talks about. Ask God, is this from you? Simply, you, you have an idea come to mind. You say, well, God, is this from you? Talk to God about it. And uh, when, when Joan and I met um, I, and started dating, I, I remember thinking, I'd like to marry this girl. And uh, God, is this from you? And the thought was, it may be. You know, that's real clear. And so I went to the second test. Uh, Make sure that it lines up with what the Bible teaches, not just an isolated verse. Some people, they want to discover God's will, and it goes something like this. Well, let me just see what the Bible says. And we point down, it says, uh, Judas committed suicide. And then, so we flip over, and then we pick another verse, and it says, go thou and do likewise. You know, that's a dangerous way uh, to find God's will. So as we searched the scriptures, I read the entire Bible through and I couldn't find Joan's name in there anywhere. So, um, but there's a general principle that you look at in Genesis chapter 2. It says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And I said, well, scripture teaches that marriage is biblical. So it passed the second filter. Third filter is, uh, well, what if, um, is this the wise thing to do? Is the timing right? And I knew that marrying Joan, for me, would be marrying up, and that seemed like a wise thing to do. And so uh, it, it passed filter three for me. Filter four was, does it fit how God's wired you? Well, I'd written out a list, and part of my list was I wanted a woman who was attractive. I wanted someone who was smarter than, uh, than me, which was easy to find, and then find someone who loved Jesus as much or more than I did. And she met all of those categories, so she passed Filter number three, uh, is it the wise thing to do? Uh, Or number four, does it fit with how God's designed you? Number five, what do others who know you and love you think? 
And uh, I remember Joan came with me to Myrtle Beach, and uh, we went over to Tim and Karen's house. And uh, we, this was in 1985, and I just wanted their opinion, after, not in front of Joan, but, uh, <laughs> but afterwards I said, uh, you know, is it the wise thing to do? I'd learned you don't do that. And so afterwards I just said, well, Tim, what do you think? You know, how, Karen, what do you think? And, and I asked some friends that, I, that knew me well, is this person a good fit with me? And now it seems kind of silly now looking back, uh, but I'm very thankful that God did confirm that. And uh, the, the rest, as they don't say, is his children. And, um, you know, seven of them later. We, um, <clears throat> we had seven because there's seven nations, but that's a mission sermon anyway. Uh, uh, you know, se- seven uh, continents. So how do we know when God speaks? Um, well, let's look at three case studies in Scripture. First, we're going to start with Moses. Now, this is a sculpture that uh, Michelangelo had of, of Moses. Um, and uh, as you look at Moses' life, God called Moses to go up on Mount Sinai. He gave him two tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. And as Moses is coming down the mountain, he hears a noise. And the Israelites, during his 40 days up the mountain have begun to worship an idol that they've created. And in his anger, in Moses' anger, he throws the Ten Commandments down, shattering them. He's the only one I know to break all Ten Commandments at one time. (laughs) So he, he gets before the Lord and says, God, what do I do next? And as he's praying, as he's seeking the Lord, he has this encounter with God that we find in your outline. I've got the key verse there. I encourage you to read the entire chapter. But in that key verse, he said, my, God says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. 33 chapters into the book of Exodus, Moses has learned some things. And what, some of those things that, uh, that he has learned is don't just jump out and move forward before you have made sure that it's God speaking. Because at 40 years of age, he decided to take an action to take the deliverance of Israel into his own hands. He killed an Egyptian, and then he spent the next 40 years fleeing from Pharaoh, fleeing for his life. And so this time he wanted to be sure, okay, God, is this really you? Is this you? And so as we look at the filters that we talked about, the ways of knowing God's will, Moses' example passes filter one. He asks, God, is this you? You've said you'll lead us up from here. Is this you? The second filter, make sure that it is what the Bible teaches. Now, Moses had a slight advantage. He, he wrote the first five books. And so uh, now there are scholars who debate whether he wrote it or not, but if you look at uh, Jesus' references to the first five books of the Bible, he says Moses wrote it. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this. This is an amazing thing, but anytime Jesus versus blank, Jesus versus anyone, Jesus always wins. So I'm going with Jesus on this one. And he gave Moses credit. And as we look at the uh, Moses says, Filter 2, it lined up with the Ten Commandments. It lined up with what God had revealed to him to write as what we now know as Scripture. And so it passed filter number two. Filter number three, ask God, is this the wise thing to do? Well, he had already learned, if you move out on your own to try to accomplish God's will, even if God has spoken to you, and you try to fulfill that word on your own, 
it will end in disaster. And so he said, you know, God, is this really you? He wanted to be sure that the timing was right, that God's presence would be with him. Filter number four, does this fit with how God designed you? Well, Moses had spent 40 years of his life growing up as the son of a pharaoh. His name, Moses, actually means to be drawn out. And most scholars believe that it was a reference to Moses having been put in a basket as a baby and left in the river because the Egyptians had commanded that any male child was to be killed. And so his mother, not willing to kill Moses, put him in a basket and placed him in the river among the reeds. And Pharaoh's daughter discovers him and draws him out of the water, giving him the name that means to draw out Moses. And so Moses, uh, did it fit how God designed him? Well, for 40 years, he had been trained in the best education possible in Pharaoh's house. Uh, many scholars would say that he would, he would have the equivalent to a Ph.D. from Harvard or Yale. He was a brilliant man, multilingual. And did it fit God's character that this guy would be able to organize and lead two to three million people? Absolutely. So it fit filter number four. Filter number five, what do others who know and love you think? Now Moses was slightly different from the rest of us in this regard. If you read chapter 33, it says he spoke to God face to face as a friend to a friend. Now God wants all of us to be his friends. Uh, but Moses, he didn't check with anybody. Moses just said, God's this you. God said, I'll be with you. And he moved forward. But people were still involved. Because Joshua and Caleb, they followed him, and some others followed him, and so the people portion of filter five was verified after obedience for Moses. But people were still involved. And so as he moves forward, these next two guys, Joshua and Caleb, let's talk about them for a minute. That's the case study number two. Joshua had been a servant to Moses since Joshua was a very young man, and he became, Joshua became a warrior. Joshua defended Moses' honor. There's one instance where the Holy Spirit comes upon the people of Israel, and it starts with the 70 elders. And the Holy Spirit comes, and the 70 elders begin to prophesy. But there are some people who aren't a part of the 70, and they're out in the camp, and they're prophesying. And, and Joshua tries to stop them. Moses, being a good leader, realizes what God's doing. He stops Joshua and says, look, you don't have to defend me. You don't have to protect me. I would that all of God's people were prophets. But he tries to protect Moses. There's a place that Moses had established called the Tent of Meeting. And it was a tent that he put on the outside of the camp. And Moses would go there to seek the Lord. And it was a place for anyone who wanted to go and hear from God. They could go and seek God at the Tent of Meeting. And it says of Joshua, he never left there. That's, that was his hangout. So this is a guy, even as a young man, that loves the Lord, wants to follow God, and he becomes Moses' successor. Joshua and Caleb were two of 12 spies that Moses sent into the, the uh, promised land, and they were to go in. Here's a, re a relief showing they're coming back with the, the grapes uh, of the harvest in the promised land and in the holy land. And they're, they're, go, they're coming back, but 10 of the 12 spies thought it was a democracy. Moses wasn't actually setting up a democracy, but they come back and they, they, they said, we don't think this is a good idea. 
there are big boys in the land, and we don't think our team can beat their team, and we're not willing to go. But Joshua and Caleb, they jump up and say, oh, absolutely, we can take these guys. Uh, we, we believe that we need to do this, and now's the time. Well, they lose the vote, and because of the tens dis- disobedience, every one of that generation died in the wilderness over the next 40 years of wandering, except Joshua and Caleb. Fast forward, 45 years later, they've been conquering the land for five years, and Caleb is 85 years old, and he's been in the land once before, remember, 45 years earlier, and he remembered some real estate that he really wanted. And so he goes to his friend Joshua, and he says, how about this? I am as strong as I was 45 years ago. Now, whether that's true or not, we don't know, but we do know he thought he was, and he said he was. You know, it kind of reminds me of Tim's dad. And uh, so here's this guy who said, man, I can still fight. I can still do this. Let me have that hill. And Caleb, as he comes before Joshua, Joshua says, have at it. Go ahead. But let's look at the verse of how, it's in your outline there, verse 12 of chapter 14 of Joshua. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. The Lord had told him this 45 years earlier. Kind of humbles us of, uh, you know, we get impatient if it's been a week. 45 years later. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. And then notice this little phrase. It may be that the Lord will be with me. Doesn't sound like a great deal of certainty, does it? It may be that the Lord will be with me. And I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Andy Stanley, who uh, is a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, he says if you're 80% certain of a given direction, go for it. Uh, That has been extremely helpful to me. He gives the analogy of uh, sports. If we were to look at uh, a football coach and he's looking at a game and he's saying to the 49ers or to the Ravens, uh, look, here's the play, and this is what we're going to do, and this is, the, this is the game plan. The coach does not have 100% certainty that the execution of his, his plan will work, but he's to be clear in saying to the team, this is the play. So there's a difference between clarity and certainty. And if you're a leader, you need to be clear to those you lead, even if you're not certain of the outcome. 80% certainty is a good ratio. It may be is a good phrase. And so Caleb says, it may be that the Lord will be with us. Let's look at the five filters and apply them to Caleb's life. Number one, is this from you? Well, that seems to be a question that that Caleb's asking. In fact, he says, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. So we know that God's already said this. So he asked, is this from you? Does it line up with what Scripture teaches? Absolutely. He knows that Moses has actually written the book by this time, and he's able to go back and say, God promised us this land. Is it wise? Well, you could say at 85 years old, is it wise? But it's kind of like my mom who died at age 90. 
you know, one of my sisters would come in and she'd say, Mom, you can't have that. You can't have that. Don't eat too much sugar. Don't eat. And my view was, eat whatever you want. You're 80, you're 90 years old, you know. And, and so, wise thing to do at 85, whatever you want. <clears throat> Number four, does this fit with how God designed you? If you look at the life of Caleb, it absolutely fits this guy's character. Because 45 years earlier, he, was, he wasn't willing to, he didn't care what the majority report was. He was part of the minority report then. Nothing had changed for this guy. In fact, there's one instance in the scripture where, where Caleb, he sees an, a town that he wants to overtake. And he, he, he says, you know, I tell you what, evidently he has a really pretty daughter. And he says, whoever conquers this town, I will give my daughter to them as a wife. And so uh, this guy jumps up and says, I'm in. And he goes and conquers the city. This guy is willing to take risks. This guy is willing to, to move forward. So it fits perfectly within Caleb's character at 85 years of age that he'd still want to take some more territory. What do others who know and love you think? Well, Caleb went to his best friend, I believe, Joshua. And he said, look, we've been doing this for 45 years. And here's a hill that I believe I want for my descendants. What do you think? And Joshua, who knows him well, says, go for it. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, if you read the rest of that chapter, he actually takes the land. And he actually takes that hill and his inheritance for his kids. Amazing thing. Case study number three is Jonathan. This is my favorite one. This is a story from 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago. And Jonathan uh, said to the young man who carried his armor, it's kind of like a caddy uh, for a golfer, where a good caddy will advise, no, I don't think you should use that iron. I think you need to use the nine iron on this shot. And, and so he turns to his caddy. He turns to his armor bearer and he says, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now, what's interesting in that is it's not self-centered. So much of what I hear in schools and from TV shows and from Disney and from, unfortunately, a lot of Christian writers and speakers is what do you want to do? And it's very you-centered. You can do anything. You know, you can... I don't see that in any of these guys. I don't see that in Jonathan at all. Jonathan's saying, look, God can do this, and he's not limited. The focus is on God, not on Josh, Jonathan. And so as we look at that, I want to look at the full passage in 1 Samuel 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you don't, it'll be for, uh, placed for you on the screens. Jonathan 14, verse 1. Jonathan, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 14, verse 1, on Jonathan. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the, prom, um, in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitam, Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. 
Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag, and on the one side of the rocky crag and on the other, the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sina. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and on the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be, there's the phrase, it may be. One translation says, perhaps. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Verse 8. Then Jonathan said, Behold, um, we will cross over to the men and will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place. That we do, uh, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for God has given them into our hand, and this shall be a sign to us. You see, Jonathan here, he's got a strategy. He's not just out running out on, uh, um, haphazardly, he's got a plan, and he's laid this plan out. And then in verse 11, it says, So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come after me. Now, can I, can I see this little smile on Jonathan's face? You know where he says, God's given them to us. Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length of an acre of land. It was about half the size of a football field, not including the end zones. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. And the garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. <clears throat> I have a, an uncle that I mentioned last time I spoke here. He's 95 years old. He was involved in the Battle of the Bulge. He, he went into Normandy right after the first invasion at Normandy. Said there were still, still signs of, uh, of bodies and and things that had been uh, in that first invasion. And as he went in and eventually fights in the Battle of the Bulge, my uncle was born in 1918, in January of 1918, and uh, still living, still sharp. And a month after he was born, on February 13th, 1918, there was, uh, during World War One, the uh, British commander, General Allenby, had been commanded to, had commanded his troops that they were going to go and take Jericho. And on their way to take Jericho, they had to climb, they had to face this, this one area that was held by the Turks at the time. And he said, get as much sleep as you can. Tomorrow morning we're going to attack. There will be casualties, uh, just the cost of war, but we're going to do a frontal attack and here's the plan. Well, that night there was a general, uh, I, I mean, there was a major named Vivian Gilbert. 
And Vivian Gilbert in his tent that night by candlelight is reading through his Bible. And they're at this area encamped in this pass known as Michmash. And he said, Michmash, I've heard that name before. And so he's searching his Bible to find where's Michmash. And as he looks, he discovers that it's in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And he reads the passage that I just read to you. And he gets up and he goes and wakes up in the middle of the night, the general, which I would think would be a dangerous thing to do. He goes and wakes up the general and he says, uh, Sir, I know in the morning we've got a plan to do a frontal attack, and, but I've been reading my Bible. And there's this passage on Michmash where we are right now. And it says that there are these two Craigs, this one called Bozes and the other called Sina. And he said, that has to be the Craigs right there. And he said, what if we do a night attack and we go up and we climb between those two places just like Jonathan did. And that was what they did. They lost no soldiers, and they took that fort, took that area within half a furrow of an acre of land, about the size of a half of a football field, and he followed the strategy, followed by Jonathan. Uh, military worked, uh, strategy worked 3,000 years ago, and it worked almost 100 years ago as well. And so he follows this strategy. Well, let's look at the five filters for a moment and apply them to Jonathan's life. First filter, is this from you? Well, the best Jonathan could get was, it may be. And I find that's pretty much how I live my life. Uh, there'll be an idea that I believe's from God, and I simply say, you know, it may be. And then I go to filter number two. Well, what does Scripture teach? And if it's nothing, if it doesn't violate the written word of God, then I can move through step two. Now, if it violates the written word of God, anything that you think you've gotten as an impression from God can be dismissed. It's that simple. I don't care how strong it was. I don't care if it was a dream or a vision. I don't care if it was somebody who wrote something and they came to you. If it isn't in the 66 books contained within the scriptures as we have them, you can automatically say, I know that's not from God. That's the simple part. Filter three, ask, is it the wise thing to do? So Jonathan, as he looks at filter two and he goes back to the scripture, he can see Moses said, we've got this land. It's given to Israel. Let's go for it. So that checked off for Jonathan. Filter number three, uh, is it the wise thing to do? Well, he turns to his armor bearer and says, what do you think? He says, sounds like a strategy that'll work. Besides, in 3,000 years, there'll be a... Gen oh, no, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> Number four, does this fit with how God's designed you? What do we know about Jonathan's life? Well, if you look at Jonathan, there's a relief that we've got on that. And um, where Jonathan is before his father, and his father uh, is the first king of Israel. Saul is the first king of Israel. And... But Saul was not a good king. And God said, I'm removing the kingdom from you, Saul, and I'm giving it to David. And Jonathan was good friends with David. David was his brother-in-law. They were good friends. And Jonathan just decided, look, I'm siding with David, and I'm willing to give up because the kingdom from a human cultural standpoint would have gone from Saul to his oldest son, to Jonathan. And he was, Jonathan was to be king. And John says, I, I don't want to be king. I want to follow God. And if God has removed the kingdom from us, I'm going with God and I'm going to support David. And so Jonathan's father, Saul, 
throws a spear and tries to kill him. Now, I couldn't find any film footage from the era, so I just had these reliefs, and I, they, they seem to be effective for us. So the, 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 uh, is it the wise thing to do? Does it fit how God's designed you? Absolutely, this fits Jonathan's life. I mean, he, he's willing to take risks for God, and he wants God to get the glory. He doesn't care about the glory for himself. It fits his personality. Number five, what do others who know and love you think? You know, as you're kicking around with a few others, what do they say? And for Jonathan, when he turns to his armor bearer, his armor bearer says, I'm with you, heart and soul. So friends verified that direction, and he moves forward. I gave the example of uh, my life in, in terms of marriage with Joan. But I remember, how do you know when God speaks through someone else to you if it's from God or not? You know, occasionally someone will walk up to you and share something with you. Let me say this on the front end. <clears throat> if you feel like you have something you're to go and share with, with uh, Linda, and you go up and you say, I think this is a word from the Lord. First of all, I want to encourage you, don't say that. I think you can simply go to her and say, you know, it's thinking about you, and this is a thought that I have. And then she determines, was that from the Lord or not? Okay? That's very important, because I've had people tell me some things that are very strange and were wrong. And um, <clears throat> the... Um, I remember one story, we, were, uh, we, we did an exercise kind of like this at one church where I was pastoring. I said, um, has God spoken to anyone this week? And this one lady stood up. She said, God spoke to me. She said, I went shopping and I went to get a brown pocketbook to match my brown boots. And I got home and my brown pocketbook had actually turned green. And she said, which actually matched another pair of boots of mine. And so God had spoken to me by turning my pocketbook a different color. And uh, I didn't even have to pray if that was from the Lord or not. <laughs> so you, the, the, you, can, you can get wacky uh, with this, and I understand that. That's why it has to go through the five filters. Um, when I was 18 or 19, I guess about 18, 19 years of age, I met a guy named Don Bulla. Don's a dear friend of mine. He's on our board with our ministry today. He's been a part of a church plant with me and, and, uh, years ago. But when I first met Don, we were in college. And uh, he lives in North Carolina, and he was, he was in his hometown, and I was visiting one of my sisters who lives there. And I went in to visit my sister, and she said, oh, you're just in time tonight. There's going to be a Bible study over at this house, and I'd love for you to go. Some other college students are going to be there. And I said, okay, I'm game. And so I walk in the door, and Don, who's six foot four, um, answers the door. And he shakes my hand, and he looks down at me, you know, and he says, uh, Dorman, Dorman, you're going to open doors for the gospel for people. You know, he's corny as I am. And, and then he said, and God's called you to teach the Bible. You're called to, to be a Bible teacher. And I looked at Don, and I thought, I just met you, dude. You know, what, what's up with this? So I applied that to these filters. And I said, God, is this from you? Well, I already was leading a Bible study. And it was confirmation for me. The second one, does it match with scriptures? Well, does God give people to spiritually? Yeah, it fits that filter. Number three, is it the wise thing to do? Well, I, I found that I had an insatiable hunger to grow and to learn and to study and to know more. And so it seemed, seemed wise. 
Does it fit how God's designed me? Well, you know, many years later, I'm able to look back and say, yeah, I really believe you heard from the Lord, and it fits my personality. What do others who know you well think? That same weekend, there was a girl named Beth Talley, and Beth told me the exact thing that Don had told me. Um, and and I, it was the first time I met either of them. Um, and, and so that was just confirmation. Through the years, God's verified that, and he's, that, that's one of the things he's called me to do. Uh, but that's how he verified it. So that's one of the filters to use for other people. Let me give one other illustration, then we're going to have some fun, what, what John Wimber used to call clinic time. Um, <clears throat> when I was a kid growing up in Myrtle Beach, you know, my, my mom would kick me out of the house real early in the morning and say, come back at dinner. And, uh, and so if you got thirsty during the day, you would go and drink out of what? Anybody from the South, you drink out of the water hose. Well, what happens if you turn it on and drink as soon as you turn it on? Man, it's bad. But if you let it run for a little while, it actually tastes like water. When it comes to hearing from God for yourself or for others, if this is new to you, it's a lot like turning on the water hose in the summer and drinking as soon as you turn it on. It's going to taste a lot like you. It's going to taste a lot like the hose. But as you grow in this and learn and let the water run a while, it'll begin to taste more like God than you. So what we're going to do this morning is, um, is during the, the our worship next worship set, rather than closing your eyes and bowing your heads, I want you to keep your eyes open and pray a simple prayer that I'll lead you in in just a moment, asking the Lord to speak to you. Now, for some of you, he will speak to you personally for you. For others of you, he'll speak to you about someone else in this room or about someone else somewhere else. Don't go to him and say, I got a word from God. And, you know, we've already covered that. Just go and say, I had this thought and share it with him. It may be a scripture. It may be an impression. It may be a vision. It may be, but you'll just share with him. I was reading a book recently by Henry Blackaby in which he said this. He said that he was at his church in Atlanta, and they were praying, and he, uh, the pastor said, close your eyes and bow your head, and so he began to do that, and the Lord said to him, don't do that. Keep your eyes open and look around, and a scripture came to his mind, watch and pray, and so he began to look, and he said, God, where are you working? And there was this woman sitting near where he, he and his wife were sitting, and she was just weeping during that, that time, and the Lord said, go pray for her. And he walked over and he just prayed with this woman. And God spoke to her in a very powerful way through, through Blackaby as he obeyed the Lord. And I believe during this worship set, the Lord may speak to you about someone else in this room that you just need to go and pray for or share a word of encouragement with. Now, if you're the recipient, don't just take what that person says. Take it before the Lord and run through the five filters. And if you're involved in a small group this week, take it to your group and say, this is what happened Sunday. I want you to help me discern, was that a word from the Lord or not? <clears throat> so let's do that. Here's what I want each of us to pray. Lord, speak to me. So let's just do that. Lord, speak to me. And I want to encourage us. I know during the first service there were several people that were the Lord spoke to, and they, they came and spoke to others. Um, 
but they remain seated during the first portion. I want to encourage us to go ahead and stand together. Let's just stand together. Randy's going to lead us in some worship. And during this time of worship, I just encourage you, if the Lord speaks to you about someone else in the group, remember, eyes open, look around, watch and pray. Then just obey the Lord. Nothing weird about this. Just obey the Lord and uh, do what he calls you to do. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us in Jesus' name. Also, if there is a need that you have in your life, the worship, I mean, there'll be a prayer team over to my left. And I encourage you to go to them and just say, hey, I really need some prayer on a given area of my life. Uh, Lord, we invite you to come and to speak in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.